Live from Mexico City, this is The Morning Break with Graham Stanley, and you are listening live. Hello and welcome to The Morning Break. My name is Graham Stanley. My special guest today is Tara Walsh, Global Education Lead and PH Candidate at Monash University in Australia. We'll be talking about lots of things, but the main topic of today is video learning. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. I'm Graham speaking to you live from Mexico City. On today's show, I'll be talking to Tara Walsh. Tara got in touch through the Teachers Talk Radio website link, where we ask if anyone wants to be a guest on the show. You can do that too, if you want. I'll be talking to Tara right after the Teacher Talk Radio News. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Scotsman reports on strike action by Scottish teachers planned to take place in the coming weeks. Scottish Education Secretary Shirley Ann Somerville has said there is no separate pot of money to fund an improved pay deal for school staff and that any improved pay offer would involve diverting cash from other areas. Strike action was announced after recent ballots and will be the first such action for almost 40 years. School staff are due to strike on November the 24th, after members of Scotland's largest teaching union overwhelmingly voted in favour of the industrial action. The EIS union said 96% of its members backed the action via a ballot, which saw a turnout of 71%. The most recent offer of a 5% pay rise was rejected three months ago. Ms Somerville told the Scotsman that she was absolutely determined to try to reward staff with a pay rise closer to the 10% being sought by unions, but warned it would lead to difficult decisions in other areas. 
In Wales, school children have been given the green light to support their national team in the group game against Iran. The Welsh Government has agreed to let schools decide how to manage the timetables during the game, which kicks off at 10am on Friday the 25th of November. The team is in the nation's first World Cup for 64 years. The FA of Wales has organised a football Friday for the day of the Iran game. Around 1,100 schools throughout the country are preparing for a full day of football activity. The Welsh FA has created packs including bunting, footballs, flags and posters to mark the event. Skills sessions, inter-school matches and football festivals are also planned for either side of the Iran game. Pupils in both primary and secondary schools are planning to take part in the events. FE Week focuses on the efforts of colleges across the country that have been instrumental in helping refugees from the war in Ukraine build a home away from home in the UK. Since the war began, around 7 million citizens of Ukraine have left their homes and almost 150,000 have found sanctuary in the UK. The country's colleges have dedicated their efforts to laying on ESOL courses to help refugees master English, as well as other learning opportunities designed to help Ukrainians settle in. Whilst numbers vary from area to area, some colleges have signed more than 100 Ukrainian students onto courses. And not just for ESOL. At least 1,200 students are on A-level or other post-GCSE courses. But it's not just about teaching English. College staff have also worked to provide other practical support, such as free bus passes, lunch vouchers and loaned laptops. The full story can be found on the FE Week website. Finally, a new resource for secondary school age pupils has been launched to encourage young people to consider a career in the veterinary professions. The British Veterinary Association has endorsed the Vet Team in a Box resource, produced by University of Liverpool. The resource is designed in line with the Key Stage 3 National Curriculum and helps students participate in scenarios which aim to demystify the veterinary professions and remove perceived barriers to joining. The resource will be available later this month. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week let's talk gadgets and tech that helps us teach, but also might be something to hint at for a gift in the near future. Before I start, I'd like to define tech as anything that's been made that makes a difference to how we interact with the world, usually for the better. A pencil or scissors, for example, are classed as tech in my definition. That being said, let's look at what a few internet searches have brought up as must-have tech for teachers. Mini whiteboards, a favourite of Nathan Ginn, have got to be super useful. Things to watch though is pens running out, do you also need a cloth or a board rubber, and primary teachers don't let the kids keep them in the trays with the books, they make them look messy and get ink all over them. Interactive screens, are you team interactive or could you have had a big TV and spent the rest on other things? I love interactivity but my subject lends itself to it. Are you simply presenting on an overpriced screen? Things to check out are open source interactive software that's compatible with different devices. Sometimes you can be locked in by software. Having something you can use on almost any board might be for you, especially if your school has a mixed estate of kit and as it's open source, it will be free. The presentation clicker is a classic. Things to watch for is losing it, leaving the USB dongle behind and also ensuring you don't use the built-in class three laser to blind the class. Does anyone really use a laser pointer. 
A webcam, a topic I've discussed in the past, a decent webcam nowadays doesn't need to be expensive and can do as much as a visualizer. Think purpose and audience, then think desk space and the number of cables needed. What about simpler gadgets? Feedback stamps. With these, I'd just be certain the way feedback is given isn't going to change before you buy them to get value for money from the stamp. Ninja pens. Is it a ruler? Is it a pen? No, it's a spirit level and also a flat and cross-headed screwdriver. It looks cool, but if you get a cheap one, don't expect to be able to unscrew anything unless what you're unscrewing is made from cheese. As always, I'd love to hear about your favourite teaching tech. Let us know at TT Radio 2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So, hello Tara. Hi. I'm pretty good. Uh, it's not too early here, thank goodness, at 8am. So thank you for letting me chat to you. So it's nice to meet you, Tara. I would love to know more about what you do. As I understand it, you are global education lead and a PhD candidate at Monash University in Australia. Is that right? Yes, that is that is correct. But what does that mean, right? Exactly. Oh, well, so a global education lead. So I work at an educational media company here in Australia called ClickView. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, um, we're basically a Netflix for education. Um, and we have platforms in the US, UK, and Australia and New Zealand. And so my role is at the company to put an educational lens on things that we do. So it might be on product design, which is where I'm working quite a lot at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be on thought leadership. It might be around um, marketing and messaging. So I kind of work primarily in product and content, but I do work across the business to sort of make sure there's that kind of educational lens in particular around video learning which is what Mm -hmm. my PhD happens to be in Um, and I used to be an educator Um, so my original I started as a a, a secondary school teacher Mm -hmm. um, and then when I moved to Europe 11 years ago which I'm now back in Australia so I've gone gone around around the world um, I I moved out of that and got into some media production um, which is where I have stayed and will will stay um and so yeah that's what that that's what that means so your phd is in video learning then is it yes so i'm at the very beginning of my journey like a year mm. in which but i'm part time so i'm still kind of deciding the exact mode of it is but it's definitely around video learning but particularly um active learning and and particularly how Although I've worked in media production, so I know quite a bit about video design and sort of the elements that underpin really good design for video, Mm -hmm. what I'm more interested in is teachers don't actually create their own video that much. Some do, but most are using video from YouTube specifically or ClickView, but definitely YouTube. (laughs) You can't compete with YouTube. So for me, I'm kind of really interested how can a teacher use any video that happens to be good for what they're teaching? Because that's how you look for a video. Or I need something to teach, help teach, I don't know, something tomorrow that I am either unfamiliar with or they're sick of hearing me speak and it'd be good to have a variation. But how did, so my particular area is how could they optimize that video through their teaching practice or through tools that they can use with it, like Edpuzzle, to make that learning stick? Um, and so that's what I'm interested in and where that ends up in the next couple of years, I do not know. 
<laughs> oh, but that's uh, that's part of the excitement, isn't it? Going on the journey to find out. Hundred percent. I think I drive my supervisors crazy because I come in every couple of weeks because I meet with them regularly and they're amazing. And then I've got, I, I, you know, obviously share what I've been doing and then I come up with some harebrained scheme or some little thing that I've been mm. thinking of. And I think that I think I exhaust them, but they are, they're so lovely. They put up with me. <laughs> so how did you become interested in media and education video in particular? It was while you were in Europe. Is that right? Yeah. So I was, um, when I moved to Europe, I was living in Northern Ireland um, for a long time because my partner's an academic. So we moved for his job. And I was originally, when I left Australia, I worked in learning and development. So I, I got out of teaching in the K, in the class, the, the K-12 classroom and moved to sort of professional development and soft skills training for PhD students, funnily enough, or graduates particularly. But it just didn't really love it like I loved being in the classroom and then one day by luck or by chance I'd had a particularly rubbish day at the job I was at and I saw this job advert for a learning designer in a media educational media company I was like you know what that looks really interesting Um, and I applied for it and I got the job and then I moved from because it was a startup then I ended up being like the director of innovation and, and and so I worked across the business to help producers understand education a bit more, right? Because a lot of them came from um, film and television backgrounds and that they knew they loved education, but they really had never been in the classroom and didn't really understand how teachers used video necessarily. I think they had a sense. They're not stupid, obviously. Um, And so I used to then work with um, our production teams to get them to understand use, but also multimedia theory. So they could optimize the videos for learning. Then from that job, the company that was at happened to be a partner of the company that I'm at now. And it just, and that's where I'm going to stay. Cause it's just video is a powerful medium. Everyone's watching video. Kids love video, but let's make sure that when it's being used for education, that it's actually like not just an entertainment or just being used to engage students. Like to me, that's a very important piece. You know, um, teachers often say to us, oh, we use video for engagement. Totally get that, right? But actually, and we know engagement can lead to learning, but not necessarily. So for me, it's like, right, okay, that's great. You got them engaged. Now I want to make sure that you can get the kids to learn from that video because I actually, funnily enough, hate learning from video. <laughs> I would rather oh, read really? a book. I'm old, I'm old school, right? Like I'm, I, you know, I'm at the, I love reading, you know, and to me, sometimes I use a video to help me, but typically... I do not. I'm very unusual like that, but I don't, but I, despite that, I see that it's a very powerful tool, but it's not, it's not something that I would use necessarily. <laughs> it's ironic, it, isn't it? It It is a little, but um, did you, when you were, t- were a teacher, did you make any videos yourself for class or is that the idea of teachers doing that? Did that come later? Um, I didn't because that was in the time because I was, I started teaching in the year about 2002. Mm-hmm. So I was always tech savvy. But we didn't really have mobile smartphones in the way that we did now. Really, that kind of explosion of teacher kind of making videos has happened in the last 10 years specifically. It has happened before for sure. But when I was teaching, I'm a history teacher. And I used to be very, I used to use video a lot in my class, but it was tapes, right? You know, videotapes. And because as a history teacher, a video not necessarily a whole movie, but movie clips and documentaries are such powerful tools to help students understand the times. 
so if you're teaching the French Revolution, the kids don't really get what life was like. So sometimes a movie with the costuming and the, the grit and the dirt gives them sense of what it might have been like because it's such a foreign concept to them. Um, and um, I and so that's where I I use a lot of used to use a lot of film and documentary. And there was less of that short form content that we now seem to consume a lot today. So I, I was thinking to myself the other day, if I was still in the classroom, I would be creating my own video for sure because there's a lot of content out there, but a lot of content out there is not great. Um, and sifting through the content is time consuming and teachers just don't have the time. So when teachers do make their videos for themselves, they're making it because there's not, there's not on where they can't find what they need quickly. And so um, that's something I would have done. I do make videos for work, but you know, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm certainly not a producer. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, I think what you say is quite interesting. It's it's become a lot easier to make videos. We're, we're becoming yeah. a lot more, literate as far as producing our own content is concerned everybody not just teachers of course but it's become a lot the not only not only is it that the tools are at uh you know readily available you know we carry around powerful video cameras in our phones now uh as you said but also it's just that the kind of appetite for creating content has has exploded hasn't it with tiktok and youtube and stuff and and other more specialized channels uh, like you're on um yeah it's true i mean it's insane the power of the editing tools that even right so you can capture a film that's great then you've got these like tiktok is a good example their editing tools are great. Like you don't even need to learn editing, you know, and the editing tools for free on apps are just so readily available with a bit of practice. Piece of cake and no one actually really cares. It doesn't look that great. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you, it, it's true, isn't it? Because if if a video is engaging, is the, if the content is engaging, then we'll readily kind of ignore the kind of rough edges. It's the same with podcasts. It doesn't matter so much if it's a little bit rough around the edges, because so long as the content is interesting, then you, you know, you don't expect, there's not that expectation of a kind of BBC quality audio. No, for example. you don't expect that. You know, if you're home, if you're making great content, it's quality, it's interesting. It doesn't need to be of that level. Um, and this is why we have so many <laughs> influences, you know, um, yeah. does concern me slightly from an education point of view, because sometimes they're talking stuff and that, you know, they're not credible in the areas that they're talking about. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, people can't decipher that um, because, well, personality can actually yeah. be a bit of a, a detriment to that. But by and large, I think it's a good thing. <laughs> well, that, that's probably partly to do with another one of your interests, media literacy, isn't it? How to trust a source. Absolutely. Definitely. This idea of digital literacy, of of being able to evaluate what you're listening to or watching. I think so. I mean, one of the other problems with media literacy and digital literacy is that often adults are not very media or digital literate either. So, and that includes teachers, right? Parents, teachers, because a lot of us did not grow up with the same level of 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 um media and and just because you grow up with it also doesn't mean you're good at understanding the, the problems with it um i i always say though to people one of the best ways to become more media literate is to learn how to make a video like actually mm. start creating your own content 
Because what you learn from that is just how you can manipulate. So if you know how to manipulate your own content and create content, you then understand what could potentially be how you're going to be manipulated. Um, you know, and and one and so I'm always thinking to myself, you know, if you're going to learn about media literacy in a way that's interesting, because actually learning theory of anything is a bit boring. Let's be perfectly honest. Um, but I sort of feel that fits in with my whole thing about active learning. And I, you know, if you're actively engaging in the process of which um, you're uh, something that you're consuming, then you're going to seek to hopefully, hopefully, because nothing's guaranteed, <laughs> maybe understand how you're possibly being manipulated or not, right? And so, um, and I think for me, that's that's kind of critical. And I think actually that's a real big thing in education. We should be trying. It's not the only thing because there's many ways you can do it, but you bringing that type of engagement with with media into the classroom. So we know teachers, educators are using video in the classroom. It makes sense, right? It, it's a really good medium. It's it, it helps engage the students, helps with their learning, et cetera. But media production in the classroom is definitely not necessarily done as much. But I actually think combining the two would actually, and, and start doing that a bit more with iPads, uh, mobile phones, which I know is controversial. People don't like mobile phones at school, but let's face it, the kids have them. <laughs> yeah. um, let's use them. It's not worth demonizing them, right? Like sometimes I'm not saying having them out all the time because like that's a distraction, but actually using that tool and actually making it like it's not a big deal, it loses the power of that tool to the student to use it behind your back, I feel. <laughs> yeah, Although, I, you know. I totally agree. I mean, you know, for years and years and years, um, teachers were, you know, it's a shame we don't have access to equipment to use, etc. And now many students come to school with powerful computers, yeah. cameras, audio recorders in their pockets. We may as well make use of them. So long as everybody has them, so long as it doesn't become yes. and it's not Agreed. abused, as you say. Absolutely. Um, and that's the thing. And here's the thing, though. A student is more likely to have a smartphone than they are to have a laptop at mm -hmm. home, right? So if we're looking kind of that digital equity, and now I'm not saying everyone has that, right, because they certainly do not. But even if you look at developing countries like Africa, they sell more mobile phones than they do uh, computer desktop and laptops, right? Oh, so yes. they're consuming most of their media or researching or doing their banking or whatever that might be. Their internet use is on that phone, right? And so for me, we're actually at the minute, um, we have a, a mobile app that goes with our content um, and we're developing that out obviously more because to me that seems like a really important piece of the puzzle of getting kids to consume these videos that the teachers are interested in at home because kids are watching media on their phones more than they're watching them on. It depends on their age, right? Teenagers I'm talking about. I think the younger they are, it's more tablets, and stuff like that, parents are definitely restricting mobile phone uses <laughs> um, for younger kids. Um, and they're sort of different. I'm talking about teenagers specifically when I talk about mobile phones. Um, but, um, and I think the more we consider um, media and the use of media, even in the classroom through that lens, I think one, it'll make it easier for getting kids to do what you're asking them to do. Because a big problem with kids anyway is doing their homework or whatever it might be, or actually engaging in <laughs> in activities. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, we should always pander to the kids because that's definitely not what I'm saying, but actually bringing the things that they love 
more into the classroom in the way that they're actually consuming and engaging is a really smart move. And actually it helps develop all these other skills that um, that we're always complaining that they don't have. <laughs> and more and more they're skills that uh, they'll find they'll need um, as they grow older. Yes. You know, through yes. audio or video is, is more and more important. I think so. And, and it's funny because when I worked in the UK initially, I was doing some sort of learning and development stuff. And I was working with a lot of um, graduate companies with graduate and um, I'd go in and we'd sort of say, well, you know, what do, what do we need to work with the kids on? And they hundred percent would say communication skills. They don't know how to write an email. They don't know how to communicate on a regular, you know, it's just not they're more likely to send a text message or a, a really badly written email that's in text kind of speak. They're not um, able to come and have a conversation. So it'd be like the soft skills piece. And so, you know, media production, as we just talked about, can help you develop those skills because you're in front of a camera, you're collaborating and you're communicating with the team because a production team, I mean, you've got to communicate with all all sorts, right? You've got pre-production, you're producing, then there's the post-production editing. You've got all types of personalities you've got to work with and you've got to learn how to communicate. And that's like a really key component. So, you know, mirroring that in a classroom where it's something that they're actually probably going to enjoy is a good way to try and develop these skills because there is definitely a bit of an issue at the minute with the communication between generations um, within within the workforce. Um, and also, you know, we have just different ways that we communicate. I mean, even I find the way I communicate very different from a lot of my colleagues who are a lot younger and I'm, but I'm aware of it, right? So I'm like, okay, I need to sort of get with the emojis within our Slack channel and use those in a different, and I'm not really that into that, but I'm like, okay, but that's a form of communication. Um, and then, you know, obviously they need to learn how to communicate, <laughs> whereas I'll be more likely to actually get them on a call and, and chat. And then that's just, you know, that's just, a, just a very basic workplace sort of thing. But you know, using, um, but the important the important point is these skills are important, right? And they're not being developed in the way that make young people workplace ready. And because we have a big gap <laughs> in who's in the workforce, it's a bit of a problem. <laughs> of course, of them, course. You know? yeah. yeah. So if you were back in the classroom teaching history, yeah. How would you mm -hmm. use video with your students? Would you actually get your learners to create video? Would you create video for them or a bit of both? I do everything, right? Because, I mean, I'm in an advantage now as I know a lot more than I did before, mm. but I would have learned, I probably wouldn't be where I am now, but I'd certainly be at a stage. So I would probably do any number of things. So I would be creating my own video, but not too much, right? Because I think there's such great content that already exists but the how I'd use the content exists I'd cut it up I would use it more creatively um, and I would use a lot more um, good teacher practice with video that maybe I didn't do back in the past um, and then more importantly I would also be getting the students to create their own um, media as part of the assignments now obviously when you get to your the senior levels you have less control over how you can assess them <laughs> but right up to year 10 because you know History is one of those, and I'm an English, I have taught English as well. So they're the two kind of subjects that you can be a bit creative with how you um, do your assessment. And they do lend themselves nicely to things like media production and developing skills and so forth. So, I mean, I would use it with everything. I mean, but I wouldn't overdo it because I don't think, I actually don't feel that video is the be all and end all. I think it's an incredibly powerful tool, but it's not the only tool 
that you should be using. Like, and I, and I, any teacher would agree with you on that. And it's funny because a lot of people say to me, oh, you work in a, an educational media company. Are you trying to replace the teacher? And that is not what we do. We're like, no, no it's not possible, right? Like if we, that would make us an e-learning platform and that the kids would be working on their own. We don't do that. We have video, we have resources that show teachers how to use video better. But that's it. The video is our star attraction, but we don't want to replace the teacher. The teacher's the the key important thing. Um, and so for me, you know, I would just, and the thing is, right, with video, it's about just getting in there and having a good time as when you're creating it as well. So, you know, in answer to your question, which has been a bit long-winded, I would do everything. But I wouldn't probably know as much as I know now. Like I, I just happen to have worked in media production. I would be at a different level. Um and the problem with creating your own video, and this is the thing, is it's a bit time-consuming, right? Um, yeah. And then watching yourself on camera is a bit of a shock at the beginning. You're like, oh, my God, do I really sound like that? But the thing is, right, and this is what teachers don't understand, kids love learning from video that their teachers create. Why? Because they're already familiar with the presenter. Um, now, if they particularly like you, you're even better. But um, one of the things that we know is with cognition and learning, there's a thing called the personalization principle. But also if something's familiar to you, you already don't have to think about that. So already you've opened your brain up to learn a little bit more because that 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 first thing is, oh, I know this person. Okay, great. Even if they're annoying, they're still, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> which probably they would have said about me, you know, already I don't have to think about where that's going. I kind of know how they relate to me in the classroom. They might be a little bit stiff, but still, you know, I get it. So already my brain is more optimized for, for, for learning. So um, yeah, sorry, that was a bit long-winded. <laughs> No, not at all. That uh, it makes a lot of sense what you've just said, and yeah. um, you've mentioned it a little bit uh, earlier. But you are also passionate about democratizing education, digital equity, yeah. and the SDGs. Perhaps um, you can talk a little bit about how it is that you become involved in this. I don't know how much you are involved in in it, or is it just something that you feel very passionately about and want to bring to wherever you work, etc.? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the sustainable development goals, I have been involved in a lot of groups and I was a, an ambassador for the SDGs a couple of years ago and I'm kind of working with the T4 communities at the moment to sort of help um, educators um, sort of in uh, put, you know, SDGs, you know, infiltrate, no, not infiltrate, integrate, thank you, <laughs> integrate the SDGs um, and the sustainable development goals within their classroom practice because the truth of the matter is it's kind of one of the most, in, you know, environmental issues, the world issues, sustainable development goals and all the stuff that they talk about, reduced inequality, mm. blah, 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 blah. These are, this is real life, right? And and it's really interesting that we live in, in a country, Australia, the UK is the same, US, all these countries around the world just don't prioritise this as being an important part of our education system. And the thing is, it's, in everywhere. It's everything. And actually, if we're going to solve some of these problems that we hear on the news, and sometimes I just don't turn on the news because it's too depressing, because it's like do it's almost like doomsday every day. Yeah. You know, we just need to infiltrate, we just need to integrate it within our education systems and start making actions on a more local level. I mean, at the end of the day, that's where it is. You you start local, it could be your local community as in your school, and you start integrating your practices and 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 just making little changes and things will and it sounds like a very hopeful kind of approach but that is a it's about hope right and but it's also about education but it's also about application so 
Um, that's something that I'm just incredibly passionate about. The company I worked for before, we created a whole video series on that. It's one of the ones with Participate Learning. And it's around, you know, we've got it in places around the world to help educate. So part of it was educating about the SDGs, but also showing young people doing things around the world. So like anyone can do it, right? You know, what what's what is this young person in Chile doing? What is this young person in Melbourne doing? And how are they trying to make changes? And so to me, that fits in with the democratization of education. You know, we all deserve to be educated. Um, it's just, and, and so video can do that, right? Because it can be powerful, a powerful medium. This is why YouTube is great as well as not great, right? Because it people, if people have access to digital products in any way, then they can actually educate themselves and and, and learn. Now that's very, you know, high, high pie in the sky that everyone has that. We know that a lot of places don't have digital equity. So therefore, you know, education can be challenging from that particular point of view. But I sort of feel that with the work um, and the way to do this is via empowering educators to get into the classroom and integrate things like the SDGs within their curriculum, even if it's not part of the curriculum, because, you know, every single SDG is about every subject area and you can link it and you can talk about it and you can get kids empowered and interested. The other thing is kids actually like learning about that stuff because actually you're trying to solve problems in the world that actually mean something to them. And actually that kind of action-driven education is interesting for you're going to get the kids interested in your subject that way. So why wouldn't you bloody do it? You know, and to me, it's just, it, it kind of blows my mind. So, um, I do do as much as I can. I'm a bit pretty busy person, but um, one of the things I'm going to be doing next year, hopefully, is work with some schools um, in different parts of the world with young people um, and um, with around climate literacy and things like that to sort of getting young people to educate their parents. Because I sometimes think young people are pretty on board with a lot of this stuff, but I think the problem is it's the adults in the room. <laughs> um, yes. And, um, you know, and I think empower giving them skills to educate um those people as well as then and then take action together and create sort of effective action i don't know if it's going to make changes but we'll try right <laughs> you got to start somewhere <laughs> exactly and it, it's it's got to help what you've just said about the idea of of empowering children for example to then help them empower adults or to help adults take action or empowering educators who can then together do something. I think every every little thing helps now. But unless we actually encourage people to do more, then nothing will change, will it? It won't. And one of the biggest problems with things like the Sustainable Development Goals is that people maybe might be aware of them, but they feel overwhelmed. The 17, how can I make a difference? It's like, do it. so it's just about starting with one, starting small, and get and knowing what you what you could do like just having some inspiration of what so you're interested in climate action what are the things that you can do tomorrow in your home in your community to help out right it, or if you're interested in reducing poverty in your community or in the world i don't know you can go global if you want i'm always about starting start start, start in, your, in your own backyard before you go too far because it's that just then gives you the ideas of what you what you can do and the, the thing that annoys me about the whole i mean australia don't get me started on australia and our inability although we have a government now who does care about these things but our inability to take those things really important in our education system we've got all these other things that they that we feel are important but actually the stuff that does matter 
uh, we need to have a um, a better policy around teaching climate issues and environmental impacts and 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 integrating these within our curricula. And anyone who says it doesn't relate to my English class or my mathematics class is total BS. It relates to everything we do. And if you can't make the connections, off you go. The thing is, I think it's the policymakers because teachers are actually usually on board with these types of things, but they never have any control <laughs> of what they're teaching oftentimes. So whoever's listening, which might be no one, listen, it might be no one who knows like what I can do, what, what, what should be done from government, pass it on to government, tell them to do it. <laughs> well, definitely. I think it's a very good point. And and I think what you said is really interesting is that there, there, where there's a will, there's a way. I, I think there is a connection between most, if not all subjects, or you can use examples that refer to sustainable development, et cetera, can't you? Yeah, I think one of the things I do know is that when I do talk to teachers about it who, who are trying to integrate it, who are interested, they do get overwhelmed because seven and they say, I can't, I don't know enough about all these things. Right. I, I, how am I, and that's true, right? Like it's true of all of us, unless you just happen to be an expert. And I don't even think the experts would know about everything. Right. Cause there's 17 and they're very diverse. The key is you don't need to be the expert. Learn with the students, integrate it within your classroom activities or an assignment and then learn with them. The thing is no one's expecting you to be there. It's all about learning and action and you can do that together and you can do it within any class. And so that to me, I always think to myself if I was back, because I was a curriculum coordinator back in the day when I was, so it was sort of, I used to um, manage all the heads of department at my school. And, and then I was a head of humanities for a while as well. And I was thinking, my gosh, if these existed when I was doing those roles, that had been it. That would have been that would have been the framework with which we would have delivered our curriculum, even if it wasn't really in, the, because it just makes sense. Um, and I'm just annoyed that it wasn't around when I was, <laughs> well, when I had the opportunity to make a change in a school. <laughs> of course, of course. But no, you, you, even though you have a different role, you have the ability to, to make changes in a different agreed. way as well. Yes. Agreed. Yes. No, no, there's lots of opportunities. I just think to myself, my gosh, Back in the day, this would have just really, I would have loved it. But anyway, it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> it, it strikes me there's a there's an opportunity as well if you are a teacher in a school and would like to do something with the SDGs, then you could actually combine them with video literacy and you could yep. get the students in groups to choose one of the SDGs and prepare right. a video, a short video 100%. about it, and then have a film festival at the end. 100%. Even take down social media if you if the kids were old enough, right? You know, exactly, you could even yeah. collaborate. I mean, there are so the thing is there are so many schools and teachers around the world doing the most incredible things. So I am mm -hmm. on um, Twitter and on LinkedIn a lot, um, so that I can keep on understand because I'm not in the classroom anymore. And for me, I really want to empathize with, but also be inspired. And so obviously, I follow a lot of. Um, educators and groups that sort of are in in the uh, looking at educating for the SDGs, and there are so many amazing people. Just there's a really thriving community. Not everyone's digital and on social on social media. I get it, but it just it's incredible the kind of things that I see. Like, and I just I'm constantly inspired. So you know, if anyone listening is interested, get on to Twitter 
particularly, you know, if you want to get inspired there are, and if you contact these people, they'll get back to you, right? Like they'll talk to you because they're just wanting to share what they're doing because they're passionate. Um, that community is like, there are, I feel humbled in their presence. There's so many amazing. <laughs> oh my God. They're yeah. They're crazy. So, you, so creative. Putting you on the spot. Do you, can you think of any particular examples at the moment of what you've seen or, um, you don't have to mention any names, but any kind of inspiring projects that you've come across or teachers doing work that you think, wow, yes. that's really good. Yes, I, I, I'll i even name this person because he's just amazing. So he's an educator in New Jersey and he's a tech teacher and he teaches um, across the school and he has all these amazing programs. Um, but there's one uh, and they all link to the sustainable development goals. Everything's about so, so Ronald. I'm going to send this to you because I, I think this is, I think you need to shout out, but he does this thing called shoes for cause. So, and this is one of the many projects, but this is the one that sticks in my mind. So basically the students, um, primary students or elementary, um, they create, oh no, middle school as well. They create, um, they make a pair of shoes oh. out of recycled material. Um, and then they auction the shoes off um, and then the money is it, it goes to charity, right? So, and he does it every year and it, it's just, it's just great. And, um, he has such, such purpose in all of the kind of tasks. He only has the students for like a, a term at a time. So he has a very short window of time every year and he gets to teach every student in the school basically, so his projects are very, they've got to have sort of an, um, an impact. And I'm constantly, he's always posting stuff, which is great because it's inspiring and, it, you know, and it, it helps people. But he's also one of those people that will, you know, if you contacted him and you followed him, he would contact you back and help you in any way you wanted. So he's just one of many of the educators. But that shoe for a cause is such a, is such a great um um, and then there's another teacher in in a new. They're both in the US, but there's others that are not US, who isn't. He's not doing SDG specifically, but he's a media. He's teaching history through media, and he's another one. And that's kind of not SDG focused, but he's just another incredible educator. Um, but anyway, they're just two of millions. <laughs> I don't know <Sure>. millions. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's fascinating when you find examples like that. I think. The, do you know the name of the second one? I can definitely look up the first one and uh, maybe even invite invite them to the show. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. So Nick Nick, <laughs> and I'll, I'll introduce you to both of them because I think they're both Great. really incredible and creative. I, I quite like creativity in the classroom because otherwise I used to find I'd get bored myself teaching if it was just yeah. not. I mean, kids are going to get bored. You're going to get bored too, right? Of um, course. Yeah, so both of them, Nick... Um, he worked with, we created a competition at my last company and his students pitched ideas for a video on American history. And one of the ones that one was on the history of Earth Day. Um, and, um, but he uses um, media in different ways and gets kids on social media and everything to engage in history. Um, super clever, super clever. So both of them superstars and I'll introduce you to both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That's uh yeah, that would be good. And... 
Yeah, I mean, one of one of the things I really like about doing this show is is it just introduces me to interesting people doing lots of wonderful things in education, yeah. like yourself and uh, the people you mentioned. <laughs> well, I feel a bit humbled when I listen to what they do. I I think they're just and and um, yeah, they just make me wish I was in the classroom again. You know, I I I, I do I do miss it sometimes because um, I do love the kids, but. Um, yeah, I'm happy where I am. I, I'm where I should be, I think. <laughs> That's the most important thing. Definitely. And so um, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that particularly interested you, interests you around education, Tara? Um, we've covered um, quite a lot, but... Um, what we have, yes. Um, you know, the other thing that I'm really interested in, I mean, at the minute, I think one of the things that really is really of a concern for me at the moment is more just teacher attrition, you know, um, mm. and kind of where that's going to lead us um, because, you know, COVID was particularly difficult for everyone and now we're all back and things are just not quite the way they they were um, uh, for a number of reasons. I think that will probably settle, right, for sure. Um, but it's funny because I, I, I did, and it just, it bothers me, like, because I'm thinking, okay, I did leave, but I left before all that time. I was at a stage where I needed to do something different and whatever, but I've got friends who've been in the teaching for 20 plus years, right? Really great teachers and they want to leave. You know, you can understand. And if they're fed up, because they are the ones that you would have expected that would have gone mm. to the end, yeah. right? There's a, there's a problem, and um, I don't I, I don't know I don't know what the answer is. Frankly, um, I think I was kind of hoping after the pandemic people would respect teachers or would have a there would be a better narrative around teachers, and I think it improved. But I still think that there's this kind of underlying sort of thing, and the UK would be the same as is. Um, I work a lot with America, UK, and Australia, and there would be other examples in different parts of, of the world for sure. It's just that disrespect for the, it's not an easy job, right? Um, and I know there are rubbish teachers, but they're not many. There's rubbish in everything, right? Most teachers are brilliant and working really hard. And sometimes people are just beaten down by the system, right? There's very, you know, and I just think we've just got to support I don't, I don't even know what the answer is. I just, it just worries me. Right. And if we're, yeah. we're hemorrhaging because here's the thing, right. We might be able to encourage millions more new teachers into the system. Awesome. Here's the thing though. You can't have a profession of young teachers. That just doesn't work. You need everyone. You need the mentors, those experienced teachers. And they're the, these are the ones that I like to talk to for my research, particularly they give you the information that as a young teacher, you're developing. You might be enthusiastic. The kids might love you and you might be able to work all the hours in the day and you might be a great, a good teacher, but you're not great yet, right? No one's great <laughs> in the first couple of years, but, you know, you can always see the ones that will be amazing because you're still learning and developing and, and most of what you learn at uni, you forget, right, because that's life. And so I just wonder if you're, we're losing all these teachers and they're retiring early and these ones who are doing 20 plus years, what's going to happen, right? If, if you've got a whole, I don't know, anyway, long-winded again, but it just worries me. What oh, is, yeah. What's going to happen, you know? I, I completely agree with you. I think the, the, 
the friends that are teachers that you're talking about um, that are experienced and are thinking about leaving the profession, are they in Australia or are they in different parts of the world? Australia and the US are the two, uh, the couple of people mm. that I'm talking about. Um, both of them are really good practitioners, um, had lots of different experiences from special needs uh, or special education to um, court, you know, whatever. Um, and, and, um, and they're just like so exhausted. But also I think that just, I think the problem is everyone's struggling and so when everyone's struggling it's really hard where if you've you've got a couple of people struggling you can the people who are struggling can hold those people up and support them but if everyone's in the same position the ones who are really really struggling are really having it tough or or what you know because they've got no one to support them and then the Mm -hmm. ones who typically got it all together they have no one to support them either right they're definitely not going to have anyone because they're at the top (laughs) Um, and of, of in terms of co- um, ability to to sort of deal with those, and resilience, I suppose would be the best way. Yeah. So, and why are they yeah. why are they struggling? In in it's probably for different reasons, but is it because of the conditions where they're working, or is it because of the the actual kids that they're having to teach, or is it a combination yeah. of the lack of respect that you mentioned before, plus the lack of rewards or conditions or benefits i don't know what is it it's a a mixture of things right so if you're happy the benefits mean less right if you Mm -hmm. if your job's all right and you're comfortable with your job the benefits are not much of a problem they they might niggle you but you're not going to be that bothered by them because you're happy in your job but when everything else is going bad, so that so that 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 the pay and all that kind of is coming into it because you're not happy so the big issue i'm finding when i speak to people is that um, the kids are completely have a lot of kids do not have the ability to really interact with each other in the way they need to. Um, so lunchtime is a zoo. Um, and if you've had an exhausting and then it comes into the classroom, right? So there's spot fires in that's schools, by the way, but not it's worse. <laughs> Apparently it's a hundred times worse. And I I would believe these people are not exaggerating. Then there's the whole concern of learning loss. Now if you're a particularly a maths teacher, I think it would be a very typical, it would be a very difficult time. Um, mind you, in Australia, we just had these, we have like, you know how in the UK they have SATs, mm-hmm. which um, so you give you, we have like every four, every two years. So grade three, grade five, year seven and year nine, we have these things called NAPLAN. And so basically they kind of, the test to see where the kids are at and then they rank the schools. Anyway, don't get me started on that. But anyway, um, the results came in recently for the NAPLAN and they weren't that bad. Hmm. But um, it will be interesting to see in two years' time what they're like. Um, but um, so, but what was interesting about that is everyone was like um, had been quite negative about sometimes what educators were, uh, how educators are, and actually they're not doing so badly. So in answer to your question, I think it's a combination of everything, Mm -hmm. but I think it's the kids and the kids are just really struggling. And that when kids, when, when more than what, okay. So in a class, in a school environment, there's always kids that struggle, but they're not the majority. And I'm not saying they're the majority now, but there's more than they usually would be, which makes life tough. You know, there's a, increased administration as well. I mean, you've got 
a lot more parental involvement, which is good, and it can be bad too. Um, there's different ways um, that you can, and, and and certainly a good school usually has good parental involvement, you know, you know, and that yeah. helps. But it can also be detrimental too, you know, depending on the type of involvement. Um, and also there's so much more compliance now. I mean, you know, you've got to know how to be a first aider, a counsellor, you've got to do this, you can't, you know, you, you've got kids who've got mobile phones who are recording teachers in class. You know, there's, it's just tough. And I'm not even, I don't know. I hope they stay. Yeah. I mean, what you did say, which is quite interesting, and I, I wonder how or if and how there will be a change is that during the pandemic, when parents were more involved in the education, homeschooling, yes. et cetera, or they certainly spent more time actually having to teach their uh, children exactly. or to help them learn, perhaps, or I, I would have, I'd like to think that they, that resulted in a degree of empathy for the teacher and the... I think it did initially for sure yeah. I do think it did I do a hundred percent and I do think that the narrative around teachers isn't as bad as it was to be honest right but right. when everything is bad even one little bit of criticism can make it worse um but I, I still think people need to have a better perception of teachers I mean I which and it's not everyone, but you hit the. I think the media is a bit to blame, right? Because at the end of the day, if you can shut out that noise from the media, generally speaking, your community in your school is pretty good, right? There's going yeah. to be a few dicey people, but mostly that school and the families of that school will be very supportive of that environment. But then if you hear all this other noise coming from wherever, then it does make you feel inadequate you know and 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 if and it does just make you feel crap basically i mean there's a recent survey come out from monash actually where i'm in my my studies and teachers really one of the things they said they just wanted more respect like that's come out of list this year um and how do we do that i think i don't know but like i mean i mean I, I think maybe raising the standard of 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 um of um uh, of teacher you know to get into teaching would help um because there's different different ways you can get into teaching and um you know the Finnish model is a lot of the teachers have have a master's degree and they're very well respected and then there's a pay thing as well um um the other problem with teaching. Um, if we look at pay is you get capped to a certain level and unless you go to principal, you kind of, you're stuck. Now, if conditions are good, uh, that's less of a problem, but we've got inflation happening now. So that's now everyone that's going to become, as you would imagine, um, annoying. <laughs> um, and yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of administrative work that they, that they have to do now, which I never would have done when I was teaching. Thank God. I'd be gone by now, I think. I probably would have left anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, we're kind of running out of the time that we have available, Tara. Um, it sounds like oh, I don't want to end on a down note. Um, no. We've been talking about the problems of education. So I don't know. What is it about uh, what you've seen about education that inspires you or that um that you think is 
something that perhaps the future, um, something that is there in the future that you think is a positive thing? If we can end I mean, on something a bit positive, I think that would be oh, good. Oh, I agree. The, you know, the thing is, I think what I love about education is the power of a good teacher, right? Like a teacher is such an amazing and transformative person. And and teaching, when you're a teacher, you have a lot of power. Like it, it seems like you don't, but you actually do, right? When you're in that classroom, you know, and if you can relate to those kids and you can excite those kids, to me, we need like this, I just think teachers are incredible and the power of education comes from obviously having that passion to love and learn but that comes from that amazing inspiring educator and there are so many of them in fact there are more than than you know and most of them you wouldn't even know about right like they're the ones I mean every single one of us has a teacher or two that we think fondly of we have a couple we don't think but that's life right but mostly you know I think about the teachers that really inspired me I'm like what was it about them it's that power of relationship the power of story whatever it might be and so I think for me it's just about celebrating how fantastic these uh, are wonderful um what how wonderful educators can be and that power that they can do to transform because if we remember that Actually, I think all that other stuff can just go into the background because that's where it's at as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. And you've already mentioned today a couple of teachers who have been, you've oh, seen yeah. as doing inspiring work. So that's good. And so, I could give thank- you more, but anyway. Of <laughs> <laughs> I'll be so, quiet. Tara, thank you very much for joining me today. I really enjoyed talking to you about your work and uh, ideas about education, video learning, etc. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks thanks for getting in touch and suggesting this. Thank you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of today's morning break. Many thanks to today's special guest, Tara Walsh, and all of you who joined us live. Remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week, and you can join me again next week at the same time. Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.